What is the No Spin News all about? You know that this is a fact-based analysis news program. You know that. We avoid speculation. We don't do conspiracies here. We don't do party politics here. We're not nonpartisan. That's wrong. Not that. Okay, we are advocates for a stronger America and a more just society. We don't believe in communism. We don't believe in socialism. We don't believe in nihilism. We don't believe in the progressive woke culture. We think it is un-American. We don't support that. So you should know what we are. And it would then crystallize what we do. Listen to the No Spin News. Subscribe to Bill O'Reilly's podcast feed wherever podcasts are available. Welcome to the home of the Sean Spicer Show. My team and I have been working tirelessly over the past few months to prepare for this very moment. And I want to welcome you to the new show. Today, I think we're going to kick off what I believe will be a very fruitful relationship with all of you. One which will span into the future and deepen along the way as we navigate these ever-changing currents of the political waters together. Each day, you guys know this, we face an onslaught of ideas, social movements, and policies, which at their very core fundamentally reject the foundations of reality and I think the values that our country has been built on. These ideas have been poisoning the well of reason, of discourse, and civility. They've warped the very meaning of words that we've all known to believe are true. They've cudgeled the everyday American into silent submission to go along with their leftist policies. And we've all seen this. It's generated tension among family, friends, coworkers. They've gone out of their way to infiltrate the minds of our youth. They've infected the governing institutions of our nation. And while many of these destructive ideas have been tried and are not necessarily new, they've reached a fever pitch within our digitally connected culture. They spilled out into the real world at a speed with all this new technology at a rate that we've never seen before. And thanks to the left-wing legacy media and all these social platforms and technology, they are all embracing these left-wing policies and ideas and movements. They create nothing, yet destroy everything that they touch. The very fabric of our communities and the freest nation in the world has ever seen, the United States of America, our home, is at risk. Yet, a lot of people would be pessimistic. I remain optimistic because I think we have an opportunity to right the ship and return to the path of true progress as a people and as a nation. But that's only possible if we acknowledge the blind spots within our approach and aim to correct them. We've gotta be honest about where we're at because for too long, conservatives have been too far reactionary on movements and policy. We've mocked so many of the things that the left has done only to see them implement it and us face the consequences of it. Only acting once a crisis has issued and stepped foot into the house of reason and grabbed the reins of public discourse, do we suddenly go, wow, now we've got to act. We've got to get ahead of that. The left, in contrast to the conservative movement, has been strategically proactive for decades, successfully steering the culture and co-opting movements to gain mass appeal until it's too late. With the help of the left-wing legacy media, the tools that social media platforms provide them, 
The left has determined and enforced things that we know are not true. What can be said, what can't be said, what we can think, what we can do. That's why I'm here. That's why this show exists. In my 30 years and experience in the political game, I have gained a full understanding of the machine that is the United States government, our political system, how it all works, what levers can be pulled, what systems need to be used, but more importantly and most importantly, what it takes to win. Utilizing the budding weapon of independent media, which is beholden to no one, no company, no shareholder, no corporate entity, to you, the people, we can do this. Because I'm here to expose our blind spots in a way that the game is played and how we can clarify the proper steps that we must take to hold the House, to retake the Senate, to recapture the White House. But doing that is all for naught if we don't also give those same people the tools and the accountability that's required to make change. That's the important part. We've got to win and then force the change. In other words, why I'm here though, is to offer you unparalleled insight and access into the system so that we can make that all happen. Because I think it's important that you all understand how the game works and how it's played. Understanding the rules is critical to doing all this. We need to begin to fix the damage that the destructive ideas of the left have brought to so many of our institutions. Our young Americans are at stake. This is the future of our country. Our side, sanity, reason, free thought, all are at risk. If we want them to come out on top, we need to know what it's going to take to make change and to be successful. So I come to you today on what many consider the kickoff week of one of the most anticipated election cycles in American history. There's a big debate in Milwaukee and we're headed there. We will bring you guests and insights from that debate in Milwaukee like no one else possibly can. We are at an inflection point for our country. This show is giving you a front row seat, an all access pass to everything that's about to happen. The caucuses, the primary, the convention, the race for 270 in a way that nobody else can because I know the rules. I know how to use them. I know how to win. So I know there's a lot out there. There's a lot of noise, but trust us, trust the show and the access, the guests, the insights that we're about to bring you. These are the big questions that we need to ask ourselves as we search for the truth. What's at stake? How do we make change? So let's go together in search of these answers and gain a better understanding of how to do it. Together, we can do this. Welcome to The Sean Spicer Show. I'm Mike Slater from the podcast Politics by Faith. This is a crazy time in our country. It's stressful, a lot of anxiety, and it's going to get worse. And I realized that one of the things that helps me take away the stress is realizing that there's nothing new under the sun. So on this podcast, we take the news of the day and we run it through the Bible and other periods in history to realize that we've been through this before and we can rise above again. Politics by Faith, anywhere you listen to the podcast. Politics by Faith.
Well, last week we had an opportunity to travel to Iowa to the state fair. We had an opportunity to sit down with the state's governor, Kim Reynolds, who gave us insight into the state fair and the caucuses. Take a look. Good to see you. You know, the last time we saw each other was uh, at the White House with... Uh, I know. I know. The Cubs. The Cubs. And you were so gracious to take a picture because they wouldn't let me take my phone <laughs> and I had like the two I still, stars, yeah, you know, yeah. right? Well, I know. That was a great... Uh, we got a, I think someone got a ball out of it. So let me, before we get going, I just, is there any ride here that you won't do? I don't think I would do that thing right there. Okay, then we're on the same page. Yeah, yeah, now. yeah. No, no. I uh, I love the, doing the slide with the grandkids, and I do some of the tilt-a-whirl things at okay. the Thrillville, because, you know, I got a lot of grandkids, so we do a lot of rides, but most of them, my grandma just pays for it. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think that that one, the, the, the ones that have to do with height. Oh, I'm, yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. Yeah. That's where I draw a line. How important is the fair to Iowa? Oh, my gosh. Well, it is the best of the best that Iowa has to offer, and it's all on display. And it is like one big family reunion. I see people here yeah. that I only see once a year. And, uh, you know, they're in such a good mood. They're yeah. they're enjoying Even when it's hot, yeah. you know, they still are so happy to be here. Um, so it is really a big deal. And it's over a million people that come through. I mean, it's a lot. So I, we saw Mayor Suarez. We saw Perry Johnson. Do these guys reach out to you or your team before they come and say, hey, give us give us the scoop. What do we need to do while we're here? What are the do's and don'ts? Do you guys get any of that? Uh, some of it. Some of them ask. And if they do, I'm always like, you know, you should go flip pork chops. You should go work at the cattleman quarters. Uh, go to the livestock barns. So, you know, some of the things that they can do. What about the don'ts? Are there, hey, you know... Stay well, don't from- go, you know, wear your boots. Don't wear your dress shoes, you know, and right. just enjoy it, have fun. It's funny. I saw Mayor Suarez. He's got jeans and a polo on. Yeah. Uh, Perry Johnson had a polo and khakis. You, you don't you don't want to look overdressed. Do yeah, you? you don't want to dress up. You don't want to come in your tasseled loafers. You really want to go tennis shoes, boots, jeans. Uh, I've had a mask. I said, you know, I'm wearing, I wear blue jeans and yep. my bling belt and a T-shirt every day. We're talking about the impact of the fair. Democrats have tried to move their caucus and it's I feel like having been to a caucus having been to the fair before what are they what are they losing out by by this they're just floundering I mean they're in disarray they're uh the the you know the the Democratic Party walked away from the Midwest and the heartland of America to protect a weak president because he didn't do well here I don't think they can get it back going to a state that's going to be a primary where you don't have to have that same center action you can just run ads do direct mail yeah. Is this is this a problem uh, for the Democratic Party going forward? Well, it is. I mean, it's but I think it's it's reflective of where they're at right here in the country and in the state. I mean, they're doing everything yeah. that they can to protect a, a weak president, and they always wonder why they can't be successful in the heartland of America. Well, you don't turn your back on. We worked well with the other party to make sure that we maintain the first right. the nation caucus. It's something that we've been able to do in a bipartisan manner. A few bumps in the road, but you know, for the most part, we did it well. And so, if they want to win back middle America, then they have to show up and they're not showing up. They sent Governor Walls yesterday to represent Biden. And the first thing he said was, um, well, first of all, Minnesota fair is the number one fair in the country. Basically, right. basically you're you're awful. You know, well, that went over well. And then, you know, everybody wants to come up and, and just it, 
it was just bad. Not good. Yeah. Not good. I just I feel like it's a missed opportunity. It is a missed opportunity, but the fact that they don't get it, I right. don't think that there's much hope. To your point, yeah. we're going to be fine because we're going to, you know, we are, I believe, going to have a record turnout at our caucuses this year. 186,000 is what we had, and that was our largest turnout. We will do much better than that. The number of Iowans that I see showing up at all of the events, I go to so many of them um, because I've said, you know, I'm going to be neutral, especially right. for a while. Ask me, I'll go. And it's the same people, but Joni had over a thousand at her roast and ride. They stayed the entire day. It was a beautiful Saturday. It's Randy, about the state. Ashley, right. yes. I mean, they show up. And so they're missing out. To your point, you were spot on. Right. I'm, I'm trying to agree with you in a long about way. But <laughs> I'll just take it. I'm so I'm not used to people agreeing. So. Yeah. <laughs> so let me ask you, would it be worse to show up to the state fair overdressed in like a seersucker suit <laughs> or to come in and say, I'm a vegan? Whoa. The vegan would be worse. <laughs> <laughs> By t- far. I mean, I don't think it didn't work well for Cory Booker. Let's okay. just say that. Just be authentic. Be yourself. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I'm just going to keep walking the whole yeah, family. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is the first time I've even been near somebody who's really liked. Um, you know what happens when you cut taxes? Stay open. Trust Iowans. Uh, we, didn't, we stopped taxing retirement income. We did that last year. We went from like the sixth highest individual income tax rate down to the fourth lowest, and we're going to keep t- cutting. Next year we'll come back. We did a universal school choice. We passed that last year. Um, we actually cut government. I cut 21 state agencies from my cabinet. You know, so, so let me ask they're, you, ha- they're happy. When I, when I walk around Des Moines, it's clean. Yeah. It doesn't smell like a lot of major cities do. Yeah. Uh, people are nice. Yep. Can, Iowa nice. Can a... Can a city like Des Moines be a blueprint for bigger cities or is it just there's way too many people in some of these big cities? If you look at the states that are led by Republican governors and contrast that to the states that are being led by Democratic governors, it is such a stark contrast. I mean, we have our fiscal health is strong. We're sitting on about a $5 billion budget surplus and I mean this is a state of 3.2 million. Hello, are you having fun? Yes. Good. First day or... Second day. Second day? Do you come every day? Yes. Yeah, we do. We can't. But he came uh, back from Virginia to. for the well, state we, fair. we got to come back full time. Uh, I wish fair? I could, but okay. not, a mo- not enough vacation time. Okay. Well, yeah, no, we need to move in here. Yeah, there we yeah. go. There you go. Yep. Got my hat. Only got six I'm sure days. Mom is That's very all. happy to yes, have she you back. So <laughs> enjoy you. your time. Um, it's just such a contrast. Yeah. I mean, they can't spend money enough. The regulatory aspect. I mean, I think California, Minnesota, Illinois, New York, it's a race to the bottom and who can get there first. And it's the same thing in the cities. I mean, you know, um, we back our blue. Uh, we've made, made that very clear. Um, as a whole, we've continued to cut taxes. I mean, we have to watch Des Moines just a little bit, but um, overall, it's yeah. working. It's working. So, let me ask you a political question. Okay. I've heard your name be floated before as a vice president candidate. Would you entertain being the vice president to one of these candidates? You know, it's flattering that they would say that, but honestly, I am just so focused on what we're doing here in the state, and this isn't just a diversion. Um, We have made huge gains over the last four years, and there's just a lot left I want to do, so that's just my focus. If you look back and you say, okay, from the Iowa caucus standpoint, you got Cruz, Santorum, yeah. Huckabee. Why, why does Iowa's caucus matter today if you're a candidate running instead of doing the Chris Christie method of saying, I'm just going to go to New Hampshire? 
Well, because uh, we do it right here in Iowa. It's a small enough state. You don't have to have a lot of money. Right. Uh, media is inexpensive. And you literally can go to all 99 counties. And here's the beauty of it. You're not going to go to 99 counties and have nobody show up. Right. They literally show up in record numbers. And they are engaged. They want to ask questions. They want to hear what your vision is. And then they want to question it. And so, first of all, um, so we have the people here that are knowledgeable on the issues, small state, um, low cost of campaigning. You don't have to have a lot of money. And then the other thing is it really helps them be a better candidate. I believe that because of our engagement and how we, we're very good at what we do, it helps them test their message. It helps them connect with everyday people. And um, I just think they become a better candidate because of that. So I think it's a win-win for both. Governor, I appreciate your time. This is, you couldn't ask for a better guide at the Iowa State Fair <laughs> than you. Uh, so thank you for all your time. Thanks for allowing us to be here and have such a great time. You really have something special here. And obviously beyond the fair, you've done a great job as governor. Thank you. Um, and there's a reason everybody keeps coming up to you asking for photos because <laughs> they recognize that. So congratulations thank on the you. job that you've done and, and I appreciate you having us. Thank you. I'm so happy to have you here and it's good uh, to see you. So. All right, let's go get some corn dogs. Okay, let's go. The media has systematically lied to you. The Hunter Biden laptop story, the origin of COVID-19, the Trump-Russia collusion hoax, or how your money's being spent in Ukraine. Enough already with the lies. No more lies, hard truths only. That's what the Truth Podcast is all about. It's not standard conservative talking points. If you want that, go somewhere else. But if you want the hard truth delivered to you in a way that challenges you and will challenge me intellectually, you're not going to find anything like this on the internet. Subscribe, download now the truth. Well, as we head into this most consequential week of the season, I want to bring in one of the president's pollsters, Jim McLaughlin. Jim, thanks for joining us. Great to be here, Sean. So let me just start with this. Give me a lay of the land from where you guys see this. When you talk to President Trump and he says, Jim, John, uh, where are we? How are we doing? What do you answer? Yeah, look, the thing I tell him, just the way the electorate is right now, Sean, and you know this from having worked on all those campaigns you worked on over the years. And by the way, I really miss working with you these days <laughs> now that you've gotten into the media business. But America, you know, we use that analogy that America is polarized, and it really is in, in many, many ways. No matter kind of what happens is, you know, the Republican candidate for president starts the race with about 47, 46 percent of the vote. And the same thing for the Democratic candidate, even as much as Joe Biden has failed at this point with 47, 46 percent of the vote. But if you look at it right now, um, you look at the national polls and there's been polls like Harvard, Harris and the Caps poll that have been out there recently. And Donald Trump's up by four or five percent. Our last national poll, we had him up by two percent. The other thing to look at is you look at those all important independent voters in those races right now and the Maris poll, the U, uh, the YouGov poll, the president was ahead by about seven, eight percent among those independents. And then there's been recent polls out. Pennsylvania, President Trump was up by a point in Pennsylvania, Michigan race is basically tied. Poll just came out. The more we can talk issues, the things that people care about most the better it is going to be for Donald Trump and Republicans. Because so, on the issues that 
Yeah, I want to I want to stick with the general and then get back to the primary work backwards. That's you touched on something that I thought was really important. Michigan and Pennsylvania. I tell everyone who looks at national polls, we don't run national elections. I, this this election, in my opinion, is coming down to eight states. You mentioned two of them, uh, Pennsylvania and Michigan. Then you'll start Arizona, Georgia, New Hampshire. Uh, here's my question for you. When people say Donald Trump can't win, what do you say? Look at the poll numbers. That's folks that are going back to, you know, and, and rehashing the 2020 election right now. There's about 10 to 12 percent of the electorate right now that voted for Joe Biden that is now voting for Donald Trump. Why? And they'll sit there and they'll tell you this. You know, it was very interesting. I don't know if you saw the article it was in Politico and we all know that Politico leans left. Politico did focus groups with voters of color and they were shocked by their findings. I'm not shocked because we hear this every day where you had black voters, Hispanic voters telling you how they were doing significantly better, especially when it came to the issue of the economy under Donald Trump. And one of the things we're seeing right now, you look at the latest Quinnipiac poll, Donald Trump is getting 20 percent of the black vote. Now, it doesn't sound like a lot, but you look back at somebody like Mitt Romney only got about 8% of the black vote. Mm -hmm. If Donald Trump gets 20% of the black vote, he will win significantly. And those states you pointed out right now, remember the, you know, remember the Democrats used to tell us about the blue wall, which was basically Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. You have surveys in those states done by independent groups right now where Donald Trump is either tied or he's slightly ahead in those states. So that's where the race is right now. And look, we see the attacks that Donald Trump is getting every day. With Donald Trump, the more he can talk about issues and the issues that people care about most, like the economy, crime, immigration, war and peace, the better off he's okay, going to so, be. In the world. So fair enough. I agree with you. I, I There isn't a voter I talk to. Even folks on the left who can see that Donald Trump is president. Uh, the economy was stronger. We were safer as a country. Our trade deals got better. Our military was stronger. But they always bring up, you know, the tweets. The And to your point, just to be fair, when you look at what he's been saying now and what he's been truthing out, it isn't always about the economy. It's about these these indictments that have come down and how unfair the judicial system is. That's I, I so I think you're absolutely right. And that's kind of what I want to get to is that the Democrats have strategically timed these indictments. There were events that oh. happened over two and a half years ago. Now, randomly, four indictments come out in the course of, of 60 days. I believe that they are doing this because from their standpoint, that's the messaging. We don't want to talk about the economy, border security, uh, the, our, our national security, our military, et cetera, right? So how much of a danger is that? Because they know it, you know it, I know it. If we're talking about issues, we win. They have, I think, successfully also gotten Trump off of talking about that. You look at what he posts. He's not posting about immigration and, and that he's posting about these indictments and the DAs. So how much of a danger is it, either what they're doing to him or how he's reacting, that it could cause a little bit of an erosion in those poll numbers? I mean, one of the things that we're seeing and the reason why he's gone up, not just in the primary, but also in the general election, the reason he wanted to announce early was because he wanted to set the issue agenda. And he is doing that every day, by the way. He's, they're putting out social media posts. You see his agenda 47, which is basically policy proposals 
on how he can fix all these problems in the country right now. And unfortunately, to some extent, you know, or to a large extent, the media isn't covering this stuff because they've gotten the memo from Joe Biden and the Democrats. What do you want to talk about? You want to talk about how cost of living has gone up 17 percent. Inflation's gone up 17 percent under Joe Biden, whereas it was only about two percent a year under uh, Donald Trump or groceries that have gone up 20 percent under Joe Biden. Now they're only about they were only went up about two percent. We all know gas gas when Donald Trump left office was a little over two dollars a gallon. Now it's up around four dollars a gallon. Trust me, Donald Trump gets that. It's the main reason why he's running for president. And in my conversations with him, he he is more determined to be to want to win this um, than I have ever seen him going back to 2016, Mm -hmm. going back to 2020, because he truly believes in his heart of hearts that Joe Biden is destroying the country. And he gets it. The issues are his friend. And the last point I make related to that is, you know, folks like Susie Wiles, and Chris Lasavita, they're doing an incredible job of keeping the campaign focused on the things that matter. And, and Sean, you're exactly right. That's why they're bringing these indictments, because they know that Donald Trump's ahead in the polls and they know he can beat Joe Biden. Yeah, it's funny. I, I, I was there in 2015. I watched from afar 2020. I think that they have found that secret sauce this time. They're getting the, the sort of the outsider feel of 2015 with the professionalism uh, of Susie Wiles and Chris LaCivita that puts a strategy. I was just in Iowa and it's amazing how when you talk to operatives out there, they give a tremendous amount of credit for the exponential professionalism of how they're approaching the caucuses, uh, which I think is, is huge. But so let, let me kind of get back in now to the race for the nomination. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jim, my take is this. If Donald Trump wins the four early states, Iowa, New Hampshire, Nevada, and South Carolina, it's over. He goes into Super Tuesday. Maybe there's one person that's trying to cling on, uh, but I think it's a done deal. That being said, I believe that potentially Iowa is the Achilles heel. And I'll say this, uh, Iowa is an organizing state. You can win the Iowa caucuses with 50,000 people. This is like a glorified student council election. Uh, And it's very different. You got to get people to stand in line and move from corner to corner over the coast of several hours. That's not mailing in a ballot. The DeSantis campaign has made it very clear. They're all in in Iowa. They've got 10,000 people who have signed caucus commitment cards. That doesn't mean anything, but it means that they're on their way. They believe if they can hit their number. How worried are you guys about Iowa? And do you disagree with my analysis? No, I again, I agree with you. You know it. You've worked on presidential campaigns. You've been through it before. And by the way, I love Iowa. I think the fact that you know, the Republicans are still making Iowa important. Um, I love going to the Iowa State Fair. I didn't go this year, but I've been there in the we past. Missed oh, it's 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 nothing better. And the people are just great. And you're right. Organizing is so important. It's probably one of the reasons why Ted Cruz won back in 2016. He had a little bit better ground game. But now just what you were talking about, what the discipline, the organization that folks like Susie Wiles and Chris Lasavita have put into the Iowa operation for President Trump. It's like, look, you look what happened the other day when President Trump went out to Iowa. He dominated. Why? Because one, he's got about an 85, 90 percent job approval among the Iowa caucus goers. They appreciate the job he did as president. Many of them think he's the only one 
that can bring America back after these, the failure of Joe Biden. So we've got a message. We've got the better candidate and we've got a better um, an organization like Donald Trump has never had before in a place like Iowa. So we feel really confident about the way things are going out there. And it, it's never good if you're somebody like Ron DeSantis. And there's been stories written about that people actually running Ron DeSantis' super PAC are going and looking for another candidate out there <laughs> because they, they know they, they have, you know, volunteers and they have these, they have to pay for volunteers. And in many cases, Donald Trump's volunteers, they're not necessarily paid. They're doing it out there. They're going out there on their own dime. They're knocking on doors because that's how much they believe in Donald Trump and what he did as president and what he can do again as president. As a veteran polar, pollster, how, how, how much faith should we have in the Iowa polling, right? I think because it, it's, it's not easy. It's like you said, it's, these are caucus goers that you can't look at yeah. voter history because somebody's got to be willing to stand in that caucus room, VFW hall, government center, church basement for yeah. hours on end. So when you poll Iowa, how confident are you in the numbers? And, and, and look, one of my Iowa friends gave a great analogy. And this was a while back when I was working on the Iowa caucuses for Bob Dole back in the day. And he said, we don't turn out voters in Iowa for the caucuses. We drag them out kicking and screaming. <laughs> and he said, the reason why we do that, because just as you said, people, you know, who are outside Iowa, they think you just go in there, you cast your ballot like you do in other states, like you do in South Carolina, New Hampshire. No, that's not the case. You go in there, you caucus, you go to the VFW hall, you talk politics, um, and you have to have an organization to be able to do that. And I would say out in Iowa, they don't have professional sports. Um, they've got their caucuses, which is why it's a shame that the Democrats, because they take this, you know, they take this very seriously out there. So look, I think right now, when you look at those polls, it's very important. And that's what we do. When we do our polling, we're just talking to caucus goers and potential caucus goers that might be there. Okay. Where Donald Trump actually, and he's ahead even all the bad polls, he's been ahead in the Iowa caucuses. You know, he's usually up by 20, 25, sometimes even 30 points. What's interesting about them is the voters who are the most likely caucus goers, um, born again, evangelical folks that tell you that they are very conservative, which, by the way, will represent over half the Iowa caucus goers. Seniors, those groups, all of them. Donald Trump is over 50 percent with right. those people. So. And what you're seeing, by the way, is the folks like kind of like the non-Republicans. And we've heard some rumors out there that actually the DeSantis folks are trying to bring in Democrats to vote against uh, Donald Trump in the caucuses. The, the, the voters who yeah. are less likely to be real Republicans are more likely to vote against Donald Trump out there. So I think you're going to see some shenanigans there. But I think Donald Trump's um, popularity and his organization that we have right now in Iowa, I think we'll be able to overcome I, all that. I, I, I'm glad you brought that up because the lack of a caucus on the Dem side is 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 an opening for some shenanigans. It will be yeah. interesting to see how that plays out. Jim, let me ask you the last question. Tell me, here, I'm going to throw my analysis at you. I want you to be objective if you can and tell me if you agree. Or I, I get, we all get who your client is. I believe that there's sort of three tiers in Iowa right now. Donald Trump riding high in first place. I think 
DeSantis, no question, is the second tier uh, running number two with both the organization and the polling numbers. I think the third tier, though, in my mind, is Vivek Ramaswamy, Nikki Haley, Tim Scott, that they're kind of like a little car crash all right there together. Uh, I, I put those people, I actually, I maybe some people would say Mike Pence deserves to be in there. Do you agree that that's where that lays out? And they always talk about tickets out of Iowa, the number of people that go. Obviously, Trump's going out. DeSantis goes to New Hampshire no matter what. It's seven days later. Where do you see, if you had a crystal ball, objectively speaking, who moves on to New Hampshire in a decent position? Um, look, I think obviously President Trump will. And you're talking about, I think right now, from what we're seeing, I mean, basically, you know, some people say, OK, you know, Trump is obviously the clear front runner. Then you've got DeSantis tier two. But I think right now you've kind of it's almost like the next group of candidates are all in tier three. And that's really and I'd put DeSantis in that right now because you know how important momentum is in politics, Sean, whether it's a general election or a right. primary election. And right now, the two folks I would say that have more momentum in Iowa, and I'm just being honest here, yeah. are Tim Scott and Vivek Ramaswamy, not, not Ron DeSantis. Yeah. Um, we're hearing stories about you know that vaunted ground game support supposedly that DeSantis has out there, they're having real problems out there. Well, I, I, was, just at, yeah, I was just at the Iowa State Fair. Uh, Ramaswamy, definitely a fan favorite, and Tim Scott, somebody as well. So I, 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 I agree with you. It'll be interesting. Jim McLaughlin, I, I really appreciate you joining us here on our first show, this insight that you bring, uh, and I look forward to having you back quite often. Always a pleasure, Sean. Great to see you, and good luck with this new show. I, it's going to be great. I, I hope so. Thank you so much. All right, well, to break down where all the candidates stand, I'm pleased to be joined by veteran seasoned journalist Mark Halpern, who is the author of Worldwide of News. Mark, uh, look, I, I have you on because I've said this publicly and I'll say it to everyone here. You're probably the most sourced journalist uh, that I've ever talked to in my 30 years in politics. I think next to the Mueller team, you have more sources about what's happening in the political world than they do when it comes to an investigation. Um, you put out worldwide of news all the time. Today, I thought uh, you put out this list, the 24 people, they're gonna make a difference in the presidential election. I wanna talk to you about that. I know that's a concierge service that you put out and I'll tell people, you, you pay for a lot of things in politics, a lot of subscriptions. What Mark does is worth every penny because he, he knows all of the players, they all trust him. And the insight is something that you don't get anywhere else. I, I was fascinated by your list because you put at number 20, Cornell West, right? The Green Party candidate. I have said to people this, if you tell me how Cornell West does in eight states, Georgia, Pennsylvania, Michigan, places and states, by the way, which have a big urban area where he is very popular or potentially very popular, um, then I can tell you who wins the election. I think that if Cornell West gets 50, 60,000 votes in many of these places, that tips it to Trump. Why did you put him at 20? Well, look, I may move him up. He wasn't on my list in June, but it's pretty clear he's going to be on the ballot uh, in probably all of those eight states by the end. And we have to see how he does. Right. Is he going to be like Ralph Nader? Is he going to be uh, in a position to get that many votes? It's possible he could drop out. It's possible that he may mishandle his messaging 
Ralph Nader handled his messaging great. And the other issue that I think will tell the tale is what do the Democrats do? In the past, when they faced Green Party candidates, they've, they've been reluctant to try to get rid of them, to try to neutralize them. There's talk already in Biden world, maybe they need to be more aggressive this time, not wait until the end. And so I want to see how the Biden people handle him. I want to see how he does. And if it goes along the trajectory you're talking potentially about, I'll move him up. He may end up by the, my final rankings as number one Yeah. for the very reason you said. Well, speaking of number one, you put the the judge down there in Fulton County, Tanya Chutkin, as number one. Why? Well, she's a judge in the D.C. case, not DC, in the Georgia my apologies. case. Yeah, Too no, many all, judges all to good. keep track of. Yeah, there are a lot of judges, a lot of cases. Look, I think that the Georgia case is not going to go to trial before the election. I think that the New York case isn't going to matter no matter what. So it's a question of the two Jack Smith indictments. And I believe based on what the judges have done so far, based on the nature of the cases, based on what Jack Smith has shown in terms of his cards, that that's the case that's most likely all other things being equal to go to trial before the election. And I think the judge in New York, in D.C., has shown a much greater uh, interest in getting uh, to trial, just based on the early discussions, the early conversations in her courtroom and filings, than the judge in Florida. And I think that the entire election could hinge, it, leaving aside uh, Cornell West for a moment, on whether Donald Trump is convicted before election day or not. And so her capacity, if she wants to do what Jack Smith wants to do, if she wants to set an early trial date, if she wants to rule in a way that uh, is negative towards President Trump, if she wants to preside over a, jur a D.C. jury that convicts him, I think she has a very good chance to do it. And I think, again, although I don't believe, as some do, that his legal problems are dispositive, that they mean he can't win, I think a conviction could turn out to be a different thing. And I think, again, she's got as much control over whether he's convicted as anybody else in America right yeah, now. I, I agree. It's funny when I've been asked about each one of these felonies, I think that I've always dis distinguished between the political and the PR and the legal. And I think the political pieces, it's made him stronger. He's raised more money. He's hardened the base. But I agree with you. The legal situation in D.C., there's no jury that I think if you look just as a take a generic Republican, you're looking at 92 to 8, 93, 93 to 7 on, in terms of how D.C. votes. You add in Donald Trump, who's much more polarizing the generic right. Republican. I, I don't see any way that he's not convicted. And, and I want to get back to the point that you're making. When that happens, Republicans so far have looked at this as he likes to talk about as a witch hunt. They're coming after me. They're coming after me. They're coming after me. Does an actual conviction change the game? Not definitely. It, it could, depending on how the case goes, depending on the nature of the jury, it's possible that a conviction rallies Republicans around him even more. But I don't believe there'll be a trial until after he's the de facto nominee in any of these cases. I think the Florida case is in some ways, um, uh, you know, uh, more straightforward in terms of the legal case. But as you said, the D.C. jury will be not favorable towards him. The Florida jury, because it's the northern part of southern Florida, I think he could get an acquittal regardless of the strength of the case. But as I said, he's, I, I think right now the base case is he's the de facto nominee before February 1st, because the base case right now is he wins the first two states. If he wins the first two states and he's the de facto nominee, putting him on trial is a different thing than putting the front runner on trial. So if he's convicted uh, after he's the de facto nominee, but before the convention, I think there's a chance, even if he's convicted by a D.C. jury, a Democratic-oriented jury, I think there's a chance 
depending on how things go, that the party may decide it's just not a good idea to have our nominee be a convicted but, felon. But, but Mark, this is when I hear this all the time. People saying the party should do this. What leverage does the party have? If Donald Trump's on a ballot, sure. he's on a ballot. Sure. I was with him in 2015 when everybody said after the Access Hollywood tape, you got to drop out. He said, screw yeah. you. I'm going forward. He's never going to say, I care about what the RNC and party leaders think. I, 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 I almost entirely agree with you, Sean. And, and that's why I think, I, I still think it's possible there won't be any convictions before the election. And that if there is, I, I tend to think you're right. However, it will be a bracing experience if, let's say, for instance, he's convicted with testimony and evidence from inside his circle. Let's say there's people who uh, are, are, are MAGA all the way, yeah. who, are, who are loyal, who have been loyal to Donald Trump, but they take the witness stand. Then, uh, you know, I, look, if everyone in the world, if his kids, if, if his closest friends in politics, if his campaign staff all say to him, it's not good for you to do this. And let's say President Biden agrees to pardon him. Yeah. If he'll stand down. I actually, see, I, yeah. I've always said that Biden won't pardon him. He'll commute the sentence because yeah. he's not going to he wants him to, to be tainted with the with the crime, quote unquote. But he well, doesn't want him to not, be in jail. I, I agree. And not only would it taint him in some way. Uh, uh, or not only would it get get would it let Trump off the hook and Biden doesn't want to do that, he'd be killed by the left yeah. if he if he rewards right. him. But but I could see a world where everyone is telling him make a deal, yep. and 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 he is braced by the fact that. And again, I think the D.C. judge could well say you're going to prison pending appeal, not allow him to stay right. out pending and appeal. You know, and the funny thing about that. I've heard that more and more as a theory that that the, whether it's Fulton County and what happens down there because there's mandatory minimums, we don't have time to get into that. And then this, that they want him in a cell. And I, I think that that's what I, I so I, I think this is absolutely the right to start because I think so many people on the right don't want to face the reality of the possibility of what you're just brought up because that's what the left really wants. Mark, before before we go, though, I want to ask you one question strategically about the upcoming debate. The DeSantis super PAC legally cannot talk to the DeSantis campaign because they are not a federal entity. So one of the tricks that has been used for the last several cycles is the super PAC will post strategic information publicly, quote unquote, they leave it on a bench, they post it on the internet somewhere, they tweet it out. <laughs> and the idea is it's a bat signal to the campaign. We're gonna put ads up, they're gonna say this, or we believe our polling shows why. It's a legal way of saying, we didn't coordinate with you, but we just told you, go right, then two steps left, right? So we give you the strategy in a legal way. The DeSantis campaign posted this memo on Jeff Rowe, he's on your list at number 17, as an important figure in the election. Uh, they said, here are the things that DeSantis needs to do in that debate. They talk about going after Vivek Ravaswamy, defending Trump a little, being more likable. Here's the question I have for you. Has he just given away his playbook? Meaning if he goes to the debate and does any of the top four things that Jeff Rowe and those folks at the Super PAC laid out in this memo, will he be deemed inauthentic? Yes, he will. And I've heard different theories about how this got quote unquote, posted how the New York Times was tipped off to it. I don't think you should assume necessarily that the super PAC did this to help Ron DeSantis. I'll leave it at that. But, See, I, but don't, don't assume that they posted it to help him. 
I, I, I'm glad you and I think the same way. Jeff Rowe is an experienced vet. I mean, the idea of posting it on your own website, there was something behind that. This is sort of like, it's a, it's a, it's a false, it's a, you know, they literally put a false flag out there so that everyone else goes, oh, that's where he's going. And then he, you know, he, they wanted to send him left. He goes, right. I'm with yeah. you on this. There's more to this story because they're not dumb enough to do this. Uh, it does it, just doesn't make any sense. The, the way any, the press is describing it makes no sense. Right. And I think that the New York Times just got had. Well, I mean, yes, at least partially, for sure. Okay. Well, we'll know more as the week goes on. Mark Halpern. And by the way, for those of you watching, uh, Mark, myself, Governor uh, Scott Walker are hosting debate prep, this exclusive Zoom call. If you go to SeanSpicerShow.com, we're going to be hosting at 9 a.m., both the day of and the day after. If you'd like to join, go to Mark's website, go to mine. You can be part of this debate prep between the three of us and hear what really goes into the debate and our exclusive analysis afterwards. Mark Halpern, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Sean. All right. I hope you've enjoyed this first segment of The Sean Spicer Show. This is what we're going to continue to do every single day. Bring you the people and the insight that is needed as we head into this critical election. We've got caucuses. We've got primaries. We've got debates. We've got conventions. We've got a race for 270. But before all that, we have a race for the nomination. Understanding the rules, what it takes to accumulate delegates is critical. And that's why we're here. And that's what we're going to do is every day, make sure that you understand what's really happening, what's important. The media is not doing it. We know that. And through this independent media forum, we can actually do this every single day, teaching you how the system works, how the game is played, and how we can win. I'm excited for you to join me in this journey. I'll bring you guests every night. I'll bring you inside what's really happening, how the process works, why people are doing certain things and not doing others. But really understanding the rules is critical if we really want change. And boy knows we need real change right now. Our country's in trouble, but it's not just enough to root for a candidate. We need to know how to get them over the finish line. We need to retake the White House, retake the Senate and hold the House of Representatives. Because if the left gets control, Katie bar the door, it's all over. But I believe just as President Trump won in 2016, just as we took back the house that we can do it, we can do it together if we're informed and we know how the system works. As I said, we're headed to Milwaukee. We're gonna be there all week, breaking down the debate, bringing you insights that you will see nowhere else. Thank you for your support. Thanks for being here on the Sean Spicer Show. And I look forward to seeing you right back here tomorrow. If you know someone that's interested, please have them go to seanspicershow.com.